Here's what's ahead of us on Abounding Grace. God's heart through Jesus Christ is restoration. It's his heart for us to be reconciled in Christ. First of all, in salvation, that our lives would be reconciled to God through the forgiveness of our sins, but also with one another. It's not God's heart for there to be division. There's not God's heart for us to be all fighting with one another. It's not God's heart for us to be devouring one another or to be mad at one another. It's God's heart for us in Christ to be reconciled. This is amazing grace. Thanks for joining us for Abounding Grace. Our pastor and teacher, Ed Taylor, picks up today where we left off in our study of 2 Samuel. On today's broadcast, David finds himself in a situation from which there appears to be no recovery. 2 Samuel chapter 19 records a deep divide between David and the nation who betrayed him. What will it take to bring them together? And is it even possible? With God, all things are possible. And though it was a dark time, there's a silver lining. Here's Ed talking about the power of forgiveness. David is overwhelmed with grief because whatever is going on here, David lost his son. Yes, he lost his son years earlier, but I think as any dad or mom would pray and desire, there was still a little bit of hope that things would change. There was still a little bit of hope that Absalom would come to his senses. But you know, it's such a mixed up situation because a lot of the issues that are happening right now are, well, they're directly related to David's unforgiveness of his son and his parenting mistakes. And, and his humanity is, as much as David was a man after God's own heart, he was still just human like you and me having to deal with the consequences of his decisions, both good and bad. And we find David in the beginning of chapter 19 weeping and mourning for his son. And it says, Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard it said that day, The king is grieved for his son. And the people stole back into the city that day as people who were ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice, Oh, my son Absalom! Oh, Absalom, my son, my son! And then Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives and the lives of your concubines, and that you loved your enemies and hate your friends. For you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants. For today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would not have pleased you well. And then it would have pleased you well. Verse 7. Now therefore arise and go out and speak comfort to your servants. 
For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth until now. And then the king arose and sat in the gate, and they told all the people, saying, There is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the king, and everyone of Israel had fled to his tent. The occasion of David's victory was to be celebrated. This was a good day for the kingdom. God had established his rule and reign. This was God's will. The usurping of God's kingdom had failed, and it failed miserably, and it failed suddenly, and it failed by the will of God. God's chosen, God's anointed, David is back on the throne, and yet David is weeping and mourning and, and causing all of the kingdom to weep and mourn with him. His grief and mourning created a shocking scene, one that was not besetting a king. And overwhelmed with emotion, his responses were not favorable toward God, neither were they favorable toward the people he was called to lead. It turned a day of celebration into one of shame and embarrassment. And Joab now comes with a very strong word of rebuke to the king. He gives him a strong word, and there were three things that he tells him, if you'll notice. Number one, he says, You have shamed and humiliated the troops that fought for you, David. Number two, you love your enemies, Absalom, but you hate your friends. And thirdly, he declares, You're expressing ingratitude, acting as if those loyal to you mean nothing to you. And boldly, Joab, in verse 7, strongly exhorts David, you go encourage your troops or you're going to lose everything. Now, there is some debate here of whether Joab is self-serving or whether he is encouraging the king or the voice that... And I sort of fall between the middle. I think it's both. I think there's a little bit of Joab as he watches how this is going down. If David goes down, Joab's going down with him. And I think there's a piece of that in the realm of the political and in the realm of leading. But I also see in Joab a very brave man who's doing what few people are willing to do. And that is speak the truth to someone that's in authority. And David had the authority to cut Joab's head off, you know. Who are you to talk to the king, you knucklehead? Get out of here. And you know, there's that sense where Joab is strong here. There's that need for us to be able, as the Bible says, to speak the truth in love. And I, I began to think of my own life over the years, and I just declare to you that I'm very grateful for the Joabs in my life who would be brave enough to tell me the truth. One Joab is actually named Marie. And that girl don't mess around. She'll speak the truth to me, of which I'm always appreciative. She would come alongside as a helpmate to speak the truth. We need Joabs, and we need to be Joabs. And gratefully, in verse 8, David does the right thing. He goes out, and all the people came before the king, and he encourages them. Verse 9. Now all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, who we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? Because there was a great division, 
as Absalom created it, the division's going to need to be dealt with. There needs to be unity brought back into the kingdom. And it's necessary now for the king to begin the work of reconciliation and restoration. And in that, David becomes for us another picture and type of our King Jesus who's still to come, whose heart is reconciliation. God's heart through Jesus Christ is restoration. It's his heart for us to be reconciled in Christ. First of all, in salvation, that our lives would be reconciled to God through the forgiveness of our sins, but also with one another. It's not God's heart for there to be division. There's not God's heart for us to be all fighting with one another. It's not God's heart for us to be devouring one another or to be mad at one another. It's God's heart for us in Christ to be reconciled. And here in the kingdom, the division between Judah and Israel really needs to come. There's no alternative. After Absalom's death, we need to come back to unity. We need to come back to leadership under one king. Verse 11, then King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar the priest saying, speak to the elders of Judah saying, why are you the last to bring the king back to his house since the words of all Israel have come to the king even to his house? You are my brethren. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and my flesh? God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. And so, verse 14, he swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah just as the heart of one man. So they sent this word to the king, Return you and all your servants. Then king, the king returned, verse 15, and came to the Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king and to escort the king across the Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gera, Benjamite, you guys remember who Shimei is? He was a rotten dude. Cussing out David, throwing rocks at him. Really bad stuff. I wonder what's going to happen to him. Shimei, he comes, who was from Baharim, hastened and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. And there was a thousand men of Benjamin with him and Ziba the servant of the house of Saul. Do you guys remember Ziba? You guys that have been with us verse by verse, he's a rotten liar too. He's bad news. He's the one that sold out Mephibosheth and lied to David in his worth condition. And oh, by the way, David, even Mephibosheth has turned on you. And he was straight up lying. And then David said, well, you go ahead and have his, his land then. You know, if Mephibosheth is not with me anymore... Uh, then just take what he has. And another mistake that David made. But they're all coming back now. Which is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. And we'll see that in a moment. But here he is, Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons, his 20 servants were with him, and they went over the Jordan before the king. So David calls Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, the spiritual leaders, and he asked them to represent him. And he wants to send a message through them to say, you guys are our flesh and blood. You, you, you know, we are, we are together, both by heritage, but also in our God. And he sends them to speak about unity, and he sends them to invite, inviting them to participate in the new unified kingdom. And then in verse 13, he offers Amasa the position of Joab, which is interesting to be the commander of the army. And these steps very quickly began to win the hearts of the people back. Just such wisdom that David's walking in right now. This was a mess. This was an absolute collapse of a nation. 
It was waiting to completely fall. And as, as soon as Absalom is taken out and David is ushered back in, he begins to very quickly assess the issues. And as he sends them out, very quickly, the hearts that were stolen by Absalom, the Bible says, now have come back to David just by a few wise decisions on his part. Verse 18. Then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. And he said to the king, Do not let the Lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on that day my lord, the king, left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have... What does your Bible say? Sin. Those are pretty strong words, aren't they? Shimei didn't come and say, Come on, king. You and I both know we were at war. You and I both know it wasn't that big a deal. I mean, come on. Can't you cut a brother a break? No, he, he does. If you read through this, he does very much what the Lord requires of us. I mean, David is such a picture of Jesus Christ. He's, he comes and he says, don't impute. That, that's a technical term. It means don't charge me with my iniquity. Don't charge it to my account, please. I, I was wrong. Please don't remember. Don't remember what your servant did to you. Don't remember it, please. I have sinned. That's truly a great picture of repentance. When we come to God ourselves, perhaps in our prayer time, you found yourself on the topic of holiness, coming to God and saying, God, please don't remember my past against me. I've sinned. There's an area of my life that's lacking holiness and righteousness. Maybe it was on the topic of forgiveness and, and you saw unforgiveness today. In your prayer time, before a Bible study was ever shared, you saw unforgiveness as the sin that it is. And instead of bringing about all the charges and all the reasons why you think you don't need to forgive, instead the Lord humbled you and you cried out to him. He said, God, don't remember my unforgiveness. But instead I declare to you that I have sinned. I, I think Shimei is serious here. I think that there is a seriousness about him, while at the same time, he too is looking out for himself. It's wise for us to admit that, that there, there isn't ever a pure, clean thought that we have. Any good thought that we have comes from the Lord, but man, if we're not careful, it's going to be filtered with our flesh and our mind, and we'll mess up even a good thing from the Lord. But Shimei comes and he does the right thing. He says in verse 20, For I, your servant, know that I've sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come to you today of all the house of Joseph, to go down to meet the, my lord, the king. <laughs> but Abishai, you guys remember Abishai? Abishai is the one that said, I will take care of Shimei. Let me just, David, let me take care of him. The, what he's doing is wrong. Abishai, what are you going to say, I wonder? Well, he says, shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? That's not, now remember we studied this. Now if you haven't been with us, we've been going verse by verse through and this is all not, this is all building on previous studies. According to Exodus chapter 22, Abishai has biblical, he has a biblical reason for this. 
This isn't just his emotional response to defend David. He also has a biblical, it is, it is against the law of God to curse his anointed. So it's not just some emotional thing, let me, let me add him, let me add him, let me add him. But there's biblical precedent, Exodus, jot it down, Exodus twenty two twenty eight. You can look it up later. And isn't there, isn't there always either in us or around us that when God is doing a work of reconciliation and restoration, haven't you found there are always voices that demand justice and the law, and it's not right? A lot of the times those voices come from within sight of us. One of the most difficult things for us to handle in our humanity is being wronged. So much so that the Bible says, as the church in Corinth in the New Testament was so fractured and divided that they began to sue one another and take each other to the court, and Paul's going, what are you guys doing? And he asks a question that many of us don't want to ask, and neither do we want someone to ask us this question. But it's in the Word. It's God's heart for us, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he says something along the lines, why won't you rather be wronged? And you know the answer to that. I know the answer to that because I don't like it. And if there's going to be any wrong, I don't want it to happen to me. And there's always those voices when God is wanting to do a work of reconciliation, when God is wanting to do a work of restoration, where the voice says, don't do it because it's wrong. Let me say, in every situation, reconciliation and restoration is right, not wrong. God has given to us, the Bible says, the ministry of reconciliation imploring people and begging people to be reconciled to God and to one another. So here's Shimei, there's Abishai, and there's David. Verse 22, he said this before. What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should be adversaries to me today? Wise words, David. The voices of, of death are an adversary to the voices of life. He says, Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For I, do I not know that today I'm the king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swore to him. The rock thrower, the mocker, the guy that cusses David out, the guy that mocks the people of God and ultimately mocking God, if there was ever a time for revenge... This is it. You could even say, and I think justifiably so, that God set it up this way. He gave David the victory, hands Shimei right to him. That I think if we thought long enough, we could probably justify, Abishai, I've been waiting for this moment. Take him out. If there was ever a time for revenge, it would be here. But Shimei this time doesn't come throwing rocks in pride, but rather he's confessing his sin in humility. It takes a wise man and a wise woman to be able to tell the difference between pride and humility. God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. And that's often the response in our relationships. Pride is almost always resisted by us. 
And yet when there's true humility in front of us, man, how can we not meet someone? How can we not meet someone in their humility? How can we not be melted by seeing a true, genuine display of humility and brokenness? It should melt all of our hearts. As you read carefully, we notice that he confessed his guilt, he confessed his wrongdoing, and he confessed his sin. And we may be quick to say, well, he's doing this because his head will be cut off. And that very well, that very well may be the case. He's only out for himself. But forgiveness is the only wise and course and decision in our relationship with the Lord. It is the only wise course and decision in our relationship with the Lord. More damage, more pain, and more ongoing separation is rooted in the sin of unforgiveness than just about anything else combined. And I think a careful examination of anything in surrounding your, your, the closeness of people in your life, the root of it, unforgiveness. And I, I read that sentence a little quickly. Let me read it to you slower. More damage, pain, and ongoing separation is rooted in the sin of unforgiveness. And reading it a little bit slower, you might have picked up that I call forgiveness, unforgiveness a sin because the Bible declares unforgiveness a sin. Pastor Ed Taylor encouraging us to be forgiving people just as Christ has forgiven us. And you're listening to Abounding Grace. Ed, it's quite likely someone listening right now needs to take that step of forgiving someone, maybe a relative, a former friend, or even a work associate. Would you speak to them for a moment? Yeah, forgiveness is so critical in a healthy well-balanced walk with Jesus Christ. And the way to forgive someone immediately is simply right now, as soon as this broadcast is over, I'm going to not be talking in a few minutes and just say, God, I forgive so-and-so. I release them from the debt that they owe me because of the great forgiveness that I have received from you. And if you have the opportunity to reach out to them, follow up and reach out to them. And I know that some would say, but Ed, they don't want to have any contact with me. They have cut me out of their life. Hey, I understand that very personally. I, I know what it's like to be cut out of life. <laughs> and so what you do then is you just wait on the Lord to do a work. And forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Forgiveness is one way. You just forgive and, and release and, and I know that sometimes you might think, well, if I forgive them, then I'm approving of their sin. In no way are you approving of their sin. You're just releasing them from the debt that they owe you. As a matter of fact, forgiveness is acknowledging that sin took place. Um, reconciliation is two ways. It actually requires repentance on behalf of the other person. And you don't always get that. It might come soon, but you don't always get that. We've got a pamphlet that we use here. Why don't you email us? Uh, at info at calvaryaurora.org, info at calvaryaurora.org. We'll send you a copy, a PDF file of Forgiveness and Reconciliation. It's a little pamphlet we use by the hundreds here every month. It's the best little teaching that I've ever come across on the topic of forgiveness and reconciliation. So email us, info at calvaryaurora.org. And friend, if you'd like a permanent reminder of the power of forgiveness, May I suggest getting a CD copy of this message? It's only $2. Call 877-30-GRACE. That's 
304-704-7223. Or listen online 24-7 at calvaryaurora.org. Another way to grow on the go is to download the Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. This month, we're pleased to offer an excellent book written by Ray Bentley. It's called The Holy Land Key, Unlocking End Times Prophecy Through the Lives of God's People in Israel. It's one thing to read prophecy, but this will help you step into its fulfillment. Pastor Ray spotlights significant prophetic signs contained in the stories of biblical characters in God's creation and in the lives of today's Israelis and Palestinians. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember this radio ministry is made possible through the support of listeners just like you. It would be so nice to hear from you during these summer months. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. You can also write to Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460-598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. Join us for our next study in 2 Samuel. That's on the next Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel Aurora. 